please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning again to Bible study time with Rich Bonfin Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas. He's the person that's going to be going with you today through the final chapter of 2 Timothy. We've had the privilege of being together with Timothy through these four chapters here now. We're coming now to the final one of this pastoral epistle of St. Paul to Timothy. Let us begin with a reading of the material here before us. <clears throat> I'm going to use the Living Bible and just simply read chapter 4 to you. So, open your Bible there if you like, and or just listen. Rest for a while in the words of, of God. And so I solemnly urge you before God and before Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, to preach the word of God urgently at all times. Whenever you get the chance, in season and out, when it's convenient and when it is not, Correct and rebuke your people when they need it. Encourage them to do right. And all the time be feeding them patiently with God's word. For there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth. And they will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They will listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Stand steady and don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Bring others to Christ. Leave nothing undone that you ought to do. I say this because I won't be around to help very much longer. My time has almost run out. Very soon now, I will be on my way to heaven. I fought long and hard for my Lord, and through it all, I have kept true to him. And now the time has come for me to stop fighting and rest. In heaven, a crown is waiting for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And now... Not just to me, but to all those whose lives show that they are eagerly looking forward to his coming back again. Please come as soon as you can. For Demas has left me. He loved the great things of this life and went to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for I need him. Trisicus is gone too. I sent him to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left at Troas with Brother Carpus and also the books, but especially the parchments. 
Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. The Lord will punish him. But be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one was here to help me. Everyone had run away. I hope that they will not be blamed for it. But the Lord stood with me and gave me the opportunity to boldly preach the whole sermon for all the world to hear. And he saved me from being thrown to the lions. Yes, and the Lord will always deliver me from all evil and will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please say hello for me to Priscilla and Aquila, those living at the home of Onesiphora, Erastus, stayed in Corinth, and I left Prophenimus, sick at Melitus. Do try to be here before winter. Eubelus sends you greetings, and so do Putin, Linus, Claudia, and all the others. May the Lord Christ be with your spirit. Farewell, Paul. Well, there ends the reading now of the Second Timothy. I invite you now to help us to give some consideration to the how this text is set up. This is a the chapter that uh, some people have, have spoken of as uh, the finality, the, the final chapter, the final word of St. Paul, since it was supposed that this was his last uh, letter. This is the finality. It's got finality about it all over it everywhere. He's saying farewell to people who he knew. He's giving a last little piece of instruction here. But verses 1 through 8 is the last piece of real instruction that he gives. Then he shifts over and begins to take up the, the uh, sense that he is leaving and saying goodbye, more or less, in, in, in the final verse. But I'd say but 1 through 6 is his final teaching. And then 6 on out to the chapter is a, 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 a sort of farewell address, you might, you might want to call that. Well, let me take it in, uh, in uh, first of all, look at some of the words that I found to be interesting. Uh, in verse 1, judgment and the preaching of the judgment is important. In verse 1 there, chapter 4, I, I solemnly urge you before God and before Christ who will Someday judge the living and the dead. You see that there, that, that, that sense that judgment is coming. Uh, to, to preach the word of God urgently. So the fact that the Lord Jesus is coming again puts a tone to the message of expectancy and it heats it up. It uh, presses down on the accelerator and makes the thing fly faster. It's not a lazy topical discourse on electionary this week. It's more of a stand up in your face. God is coming. Are you ready? And it's uh, if you not get ready now because he's coming back again soon. That urgency 
whenever you get the chance, in season or out of season, um, refers to uh, if the circumstances present themselves. It's not a special time of the year, but sometimes it's a, a group of people is, is ripe for this message. Other times they did not so, but whether they are or not, this is the essential uh, element of, of the preaching here that he's uh, encouraging. Uh, the, the judge is coming. Now, we don't use largely don't think about that too much in the church anymore, but there was a time when there were certain preachers that were noted for what they call preaching the judgment. Uh, if you had them to come to your church, that was you knew that they were coming. They, they were sometimes they were they were evangelists that sort of had a, a technique, a drive to hammer home the point that uh, judgment is coming. And say some preachers are not any good at much of else other than preaching the judgment. But if they could do it, it was special because many preachers can't do that very well. Can't just can't get away with. It. Don't have the ability to wrap their mind around. A, a, a judge coming to the earth. Uh, you know, I, I love the, the John Wayne movie, uh, Rooster Cogburn, and there's a character in there called uh, Lucky Ned Pepper, who was, uh, who was the protagonist in the Western drama. And uh, somebody says to Lucky Ned Pepper, he says, Ned, you're going to need a good lawyer. And Lucky Ned Pepper says, I don't know about that, but I'm going to need a good judge. See, the, the difference is Lucky Ned Pepper knew he was guilty. The question was, would he would he find mercy in a judge, which in that day wasn't too likely, but it was something he hoped he would get, which would be a good judge. Now, a, a preacher painting the judgment has to give you an idea that the judge is good and wants you to come to him and confess. You know, just lay yourself down before this judge because this judge will, 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 will lift you up and, and redeem you, see. So that, that's the way that works. In the third verse there uh, is, is one we like to, to think about sometimes. We talk to this verse, but there is nothing. There's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth. They will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want here. This has to do with hard and difficult stuff. Not just a differential between uh, theological persuasions or liberal or conservative stuff. This is more about they will not put up with the difficult learning. The process of reading uh, and, and the difficult teaching. There's some difficult teaching associated with the church and with Jesus, such as the atonement. It, it's, it's hard to get across ideas of how it is that Christ died for our sins. If you have many theories about why and how he did that, it's difficult and time-consuming to dip into just that one subject. Or take, for example, the ascension of Christ into heaven. Think about that. All the ins and outs of that drama how did it take place? Why did it take place? Where is Christ now if he has ascended into heaven? But that's a difficult, difficult teaching. They will 
Well, they won't want to do that. They will demand of you what's easy. The easy peasy. They want stuff that doesn't take any thinking at all. They will insist on basics. You know, let's get back to basics. Yeah, because that's easy. See? No, the hard thing is to go into deep water and dive. I mean, that, that's the hard part. The easy thing is still to go back to the, go back to the beach, go back to the shore. Early beginnings of things or elementary stuff. No, Christians are called, I think, in this text to go deeper. And to say somebody to say to you, keep it simple, stupid, is the highest insult anybody can make, particularly with Christian theology. Because it's a lot of things, but it isn't simple. There's a lot of things, but it isn't stupid. Theology is the queen of sciences. A physics major will tell you that. There's no question that this stuff is difficult. And that if you get somebody to tell you what you want to hear in a simple way is insulting the Lord's plan. And I, I do believe that, but that's, that's me saying that. I think he wants you to begin to think deeper, to wrap your mind around hard stuff of life. And he then goes on in the fourth to talk about they won't listen to the Bible, what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Well, he's talking about uh, inventions there, uh, things that may be uh, in invented, myths, uh, stories. Uh, and and the, the world of this day, and when this text was written, was a flood with all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, there was apocalyptic material talking about the end of the world that was going on ahead. Uh, there, there was apothecal stuff about there, there were more than just the four gospels we've got there are several uh, more who have different kinds of ideas that never made it into the text that we have before us like the gospel of thomas or the gospel of peter the number of gospels just, just goes on and on but they were so ethereal that they were never thought of as what you would call valid so they were discarded. But all these are the inventive. And then there's the whole idea of a Jewish culture in, con in this context running alongside of Christianity, uh, fueled by the same jet fuel, but at the same time having a different basis, one based in, in, in circumcision and law, the other in the freedom and expression of Christ. In the, so it was a, a difficult time. And these were called misguided ideas. Stand ready. Stand ready in verse, verses uh, 5 and, and toward 6 there. Uh, leave nothing undone that you ought to do. Stand ready. Don't be afraid of the suffering of the Lord. Bring others to Christ. That's a, a, you, you, you don't fear suffering and you invite others to Jesus. I say this because I won't be around to help you very much longer. 
in verse 6 there. My time is almost run out. I will be on my way to heaven. That's verse 6, I think, is where we have shifted now from the instructions more or less to the farewells. <coughs> but the time of departure in verse 6, when that comes, see, you're going to die. Everybody's going to die. And that's another thing that isn't preached sufficiently enough in the church. The idea that those people sitting there are going to be dead in no time to last. So all these things are not often from far away future, but right close to where you are. Uh, don't put anything in the overhead compartment on this trip because on this flight you're not going to come back and you're not, you, just, you just don't need to carry a thing with you. When this train leaves, train of life, it's gone. It's gone on along. You won't need to put anything in the suitcase. You won't be able to, you don't have to take your shaving gear. You won't have to take your clothes. It sounds weird, but you won't have to take your body or nothing. You're just going to be flat gone. And everything that you have, everything you own, everything you see is going to be left behind here as you part company. And this particular departure, that's the way Paul thinks of it. He thinks of it as departing. He sees himself like waiting at a train station, waiting for his, his train or at an airport waiting for his flight or somewhere waiting for somebody to come and pick him up. And, he, and he's ready to go. That's why it always the old Christians used to say, are you ready to go? Are you ready? Because uh, if you're not if you're holding on, you got a lot of baggage you think you're going to carry with you and you're running around collecting stuff to take with you or you're, 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 you're pulling hard on a, on, a, on a cart trying to get in and out of it, it's just not going to be there anymore. You're not, all that stuff you're going to leave behind. Then he says, I fought the good fight long and hard for my Lord and through it all I've kept true to him. That's his picture of himself as a fighter. He pictures himself as a as a uh, worn out fighter now. He's uh, and he he says it's been a long fight and gone the whole fifteen rounds. And through it all, I've always kept true to him. But now the time has come for me to stop fighting and to rest. Isn't that an interesting sort of a thing for Paul to say? Stop fighting now and rest. And then crown is waiting for me, there, which is the uh, symbol of victory, no, not a symbol of a kingship. But you know, the Romans used to put, and the Greeks used to put this crown of red leaves around their head and they won a prize. And, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about having run the race and having won the prize, going before a righteous judge who will give me on that great day of his return. And not just to me, but all those whose lives show that they are eagerly looking forward to his coming back again. Now then we get into this, uh, well, departure. It's a conflicting confusion here uh, with addendums of many names of a lot of different people 
seem to have a lot of different sorts of functions. Some of them, most of them are positive, some of them are negative. And I confess to you that I believe that this may be an addendum to the text itself. You can see there where, at least on one occasion, if you look there at verse, oh, I can hardly see it. I think it's 14, where he says, Yes, and the Lord will always deliver me from all evil and will bring me into his heavenly kingdom. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, if that's not a conclusion, I don't know what it ain't. It's right there. But then it picks it up again. Please go on, on, on. And mentions all these people. It, this is a material that's called pseudo-Pauline. No, no. Deuteropauline. Deuteropauline means that a group of people helped put this thing together. Uh, it may not be exactly Paul, but it's Paul, Paul's group or his community that's helping him put this together. And they want to get their names in there. They want to get their names in there. And they, 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 they figure out ways to get their names in there. Well, you may not believe that, but a lot of scholars do. It makes some sense out of what would be a rocky kind of a, a piece of uh, uh, literature here as, as we close up. Well, I don't know that the conflicting confusion is of the end is such that it detracts from the text because it is a beautiful thing to think of all these people, and I've enjoyed studying it. I've, I've, played, I've, been, I've played close attention to this. One of the first characters I like is a fellow named Demas. I always made up my mind the last sermon that I ever preached in a local church before I retired would be that text where Demas goes to Thessalonica. You're looking at he as he begins to, to talk about the the, the, how people have left him read right at verse verse uh, 9 please come as soon as you can he starts right there for Demas has left me See? he loved the good things of this life and went to Thessalonica well I would I would put myself in the place of Demas when I retired and said I'm leaving here and going to Thessalonica because I'm, I'm tired and wore out and and uh I'm not going to follow Paul no more, of course. Well, Thessalonica is a seacoast city in the north of Greece. And it's a beautiful thing right there on the sea. And I've never been to it, but up close to it. But I flew over it one time, it was 30,000 feet, and looked down on Thessalonica and saw that it was nestled there by the sea. And I remembered old Demas. I thought about him, how at the end, Demas laid that stuff down and went to the prettiest city he could think of. Thessalonica, we don't know what happened to him. We have no idea. He might have become a bishop, for all we know. But it's interesting that he called for his books. He wants somebody to remember his books and bring them along. Now, those were, 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 were sort of a scroll-like thing, books. And then he also says, don't forget the parchments, which were the sort of a some sort of a, another kind of a scroll made out of lamb, lamb's skin. But an important thing is he wants these things collected and brought to him. Even his coat, which is important to him. Somebody might have given it to him. I think I heard a sermon preached years ago on the coat of St. Paul. 
thinking about that cold weather. Cold came to make enough stuff about it, you know. But it's a, a, a beautiful passing, a beautiful saying of goodbye. Priscilla and Aquila, who were mentioned in other places, and Nisiphorus, who mentioned in other places, and one was left behind sick. Trophimenia and Melody. And verse 20, I think, is sick. Oh, did he recover? What happened to him? Who don't know. That's enough said. May the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, he says, down the land. Be with your spirit. Well, if you have a good spirit, about there, may the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Farewell, he says. St. Paul. Well, we have covered uh, together, and I hope you had fun. I know I did. This last farewell here of St. Paul. His final request of those individuals, his items. He talked about his cloak, his books, his scrolls. And his sorrow, I remember some of the fellows left him like Demas went to Thessalonica. He's sorry about that. You can tell by his, his writing, those that have forsook him. Some of his Roman friends weren't his friends after all. They, things going got tough and they left him too. God delivered him, he, he says, from the mouth of lions. That was the one of their biggest fears. And they would wind up in that doggone Colosseum and be eaten up in public. Oh, what a horrible thing to think of. But he says, God will deliver him into the kingdom of heaven. Well, I hope you enjoyed Second Timothy. I had a wonderful time with it. I hope you understand that this is a word written to you and me, too. Not just to Timothy, it's to us. That we understand the depth and the severity sometimes of church and the joy and the beauty of it at the same time. And how we're all in this together. So the thing we should do is love one another and press on. Press on. And as Paul said, I say to you, may Jesus Christ be with your spirit today and in the days ahead. May Christ be with your spirit in the days ahead. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I bid you farewell this day. Amen. Bye-bye. Hoje a minha alma põe em mim o aroma de Jesus.